0: If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to the very first book of the Old Testament, uh, the book of Genesis. We kicked off a series last week uh, in Genesis called, In the Beginning, The Gospel in Genesis. The Gospel in Genesis. And so, we kicked that off last week. I think if you don't have a Bible, there should be a, a Bible in the row in front of you. And, and it should be fairly easy to find. I think it's probably on page 1 um, there in Genesis Chapter 1, uh, we're going to be specifically looking at the first few verses, but kind of doing an overview of most of the chapter. Genesis chapter 1. You know, every story has a beginning. And the Bible begins with probably the, most four, the four most important words, in the beginning, God. And that's what the Bible is about. It's about, it's about God. If, if you were with us last week, we talked about this single storyline that runs throughout the whole Bible from Genesis to uh, Revelation. We talked about how, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. and We're going to kind of look at that today, and He created us in His image, uh, and that was in the beginning. But then we looked at the fall when Genesis chapter 3, very shortly after all that, Uh, We rebelled against God. We turned away from Him. We said, "We know better than you, God," and so we uh, we rebelled against Him, and sin entered the world. And what that does is it separates us from our Creator because God is holy, He is righteous, He is uh, He is good, and so sin uh, separates us from a holy and righteous God. And then we talked about how really the rest of the Bible is God's story of redemption. It's the story of rescue. Uh, how he is going to uh, send his one and only son, John 3.16, into this world uh, to die on the cross in our place for our sins uh, so that through Jesus we might be reconciled uh, back to God. And that is the good news of the gospel. That's what gospel means. And then from there, uh, throughout the rest of the New Testament, you see how uh, Jesus is coming back. And he is going to restore all things, this new creation, right? And so if you weren't here last week, we had these diagrams, these pictures up on the screen that were, uh, uh, I thought, pretty cool. Uh, My wife uh, spent a lot of time uh, putting those together. Uh, If you want to see them, they are out in the foyer. They're going to be hanging on the wall starting uh, next week. They're kind of out there in order, but you can take a look at that, take a picture of it, whatever you want to do. Uh, But that's kind of the single storyline of the Bible. Okay, so Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, this is what it says. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So the first four words of the Bible put God not only as the origin of all things, but really at the center of all things, right? Before creation, God was. Before the world was formed, God was, right? The text is clear. You see it kind of all around it with the words that it's using there, that before anything, there is a God who is there, which is the title of the message today, God who is there. God has no beginning. He is eternal. He is simply the God who is there. The first verse declares the message of of the whole chapter in a summary fashion, right? The the God who is there created everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the verb that is used in verse 1 for create is used in Scripture exclusively for the activity of God. So whenever you see that verb, which, you know, if, if you're not a, a, a Hebrew or, or a Greek scholar, you, you probably wouldn't see it or know it. But, but whenever you see that word, it is used exclusively, exclusively for God. And basically what it means is that God created everything out of nothing. The phrase that scholars often use for that is something that's called ex nihilo. Right? It means out of nothing. There's nothing in this text that makes us think that there was matter down below for God to kind of reach down and fashion and form and try to make things, right? There weren't molecules just floating around for God to use, right? He doesn't just modify pre-existing matter, but he actually calls matter into being out of nothing. There was only God, and in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. Now, that's super important that you you understand that and that you grasp that. There's the New Testament writers certainly believe that because you see passages in the New Testament. For instance, in Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews, the writer in chapter 11 writes these words, and it's going to be on the screen for you. It says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, and here's the key part, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Right? Right? Uh, all we need to do is open our eyes and see that our God is an artistic, creative God. Amen? Uh, it's just uh, beautiful. And because we are created in God's image, we have the ability to be creative ourselves. I tell my kids this all the time. I'm like, whenever my oldest son Jude draws, uh, he, he's a pretty good drawer. He's, he's, he does pretty good at it. And I, I tell him, I say, hey, man, you know Why? you are good at this because you have a god you serve a god who is creative and you are created his image and therefore you are able to be creative yourself right so as 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 humans as as people who have been created in the image of god we have the ability to form things out of raw materials right but only but here's the key right only god creates ex nihilo out of nothing right so my my middle child shepherd uh, which is uh, affectionately known by me as Shep Dog. okay? Um, he, he often asks, we'll be in the car, and he'll often ask, hey, Daddy, who made cars? And I say, well, son, humans, people, made cars. We took the, the raw materials that was already there, and we fashioned and formed it and kind of put it together. But God created the material so that man could make the cars. Then he'll say, Daddy, who made houses? And then I kind of go through the same spiel. I'll say, well, son, humans, we, you know, we, we built houses. We took the raw materials that are already there and put it together. But God created the materials so that humans could then put together and build the houses. You, you get what I'm saying here, right? God is the only one who creates out of nothing. Let me give you one more quick example. All right? Because if outside of the, the Holy Scriptures, all right, my Bible and my wife's hand, The most precious thing that I will hold today is a Chipotle (laughs) steak burrito. And I will order that burrito uh, shortly after church today, and I will go to Chipotle and I will pick that burrito up. And here's the thing, right? That burrito is absolutely delicious, okay? Uh, But there are employees that work at Chipotle who I am very fond of and who I talk to, and and, and they know me by first name. Uh, Most of them do. And, uh, and and they are there, and they are putting together my burrito, right? So they, they put it out there, they put the steak in there, they put the veggies in there, they put the rice in there, they put the salsa, uh, the sour cream cheese and guacamole, right? They put the ingredients in there, and they make my burrito. But ultimately, those delicious ingredients came from, you got it. So I think you guys are catching on. You guys are pretty smart, man. Smart group, smart group. Right? So, so God is the only one who creates out of nothing. But then notice verse 2, right? Verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. So now you have the formless and dark, void world with the Spirit of God that is hovering over it, and then God speaks, right? He, he forms the earth. Making, making it inhabitable, and then he fills it with life, right? So, so first he speaks, and he, does, he creates, right? And it's formless and void, and then he speaks and fills it, right? So you, you see this forming and feeling when you look closely at the six days of creation. Now, we're not going to walk through each day uh, verse by verse, but... But you see this forming and feeling as you, as you walk through it, right? Notice that in days 1 to 3, he forms everything needed to sustain life. Now, I don't expect you to kind of look at this very closely right now, but just go home today and just kind of read through it, and, and you'll see this played out in Genesis chapter 1. And then, and then when that's done, he begins to kind of put living creatures in his world, and you see that in days 4, 5, and 6. And notice the first thing that God speaks in verse 3 is what? It's light. Now, I know a lot of people have questions about that because it's like, okay, well, in day one he creates light, but in day four he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars that govern over the day and the night. And a lot of people struggle with that. But see, again, if you know the single storyline of the Bible, you know that in Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, it says this. It says, And the city has no need. Talking about the new creation, the new Jerusalem, right? Where we're going to be one day with God in heaven. It says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the Lamb there is referring to Jesus. So, day one, it's light. And then he creates the sky and the waters. And then he creates the Lamb, but not only does he create the land, but then he creates the plants that will serve as food on the land. And then if you look at the next three days, you see God filling the earth, right? He's forming the earth, and then he's filling the earth, right? And I want you to notice the correspondence between the forming and the filling, between the first three days and the second three days, right? So we've already said in day one, God created light. And then in day four, the corresponding day four, he creates the sun, moon, and stars that will govern earth the day and the night. In day two, he creates the sea and the sky. And then in corresponding day five, he creates the birds that will fly in the sky and the sea, the fish that will fill the sea. And then in day three, God spoke, and he caused the land to kind of come up out of the water, but then he speaks a second time, causing vegetation to grow on the land. And then in course and then in the corresponding day six, God speaks, creating all the animals. And then he speaks a second time. And he creates humans in his image. And we're going to spend more time on that next week as we talk about sanctity of human life. Right? Because we, we are the crown jewel of God's creation, by the way. And so when you read Genesis 1, you, you can't help but see the, the artistry and the detail and the intentionality And really, you can't help but see the power of God. I mean, we serve a a mighty, powerful God. You see the omnipresence of God, the fact that God is, is, is everywhere. And you also see in these first three verses, believe it or not, the evidence of the Trinity. Trinity is God is one, but he is in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Hold that thought. We'll come back to it in just a minute. So right off the bat right, and you're going to continue to see this over the next couple weeks as we walk through these first few chapters, you see that, that our God is, is involved. You see that our God is, is detailed. You see that, that He's not just some distant God who, who creates and kind of steps back, but you see this God who is very much into it, right? And, and it's a beautiful thing because He is the God who is there after all, right? Now, now, whether you're aware of it or not, the creation account raises a lot of questions, not only by a lot of believing Christians, but among uh, scientists as well. And, and there's always these debates, right? And maybe you've heard of them, and maybe you haven't. Maybe you don't care, um, and that's fine. You don't have to listen to this part of the sermon. You can kind of tune out. Um, but if you're interested, uh, I'm not going to give you a full detailed thing, explanation here, but, but there's a lots of questions, right? Like the age of the earth, how old is the earth? Is the earth like billions and billions and billions of years old? You know, or is it, is it a young earth? Or or did God create in a literal six days, like like what we think, 24 hour time frame? Or was it over a period of many, many, many years or whatever the case may be, right? And then of course you always have the equation of evolution, right? Did things just kind of spontaneously generate and evolve from something that was already there, you know? Um, And so you have all these questions and all these different views. And and so quickly, I'm just going to give you uh, a a very popular view that's out there. It's called the day-age view. And so people who hold this view uh, believe that uh, they interpret the six days as metaphorically uh, rather than literally, And so those who support this view believe that uh, the the creative works of six days seem to require more time than just a 24-hour literal period. And I find that fascinating, right? I mean, we just talked about how God is a powerful God and how he spoke these things into existence. And so um, when we see that God rested on the seventh day, we need to understand that that's not God saying, man, I'm wore out. Right, that's that's not God saying, man. It's time for me to kick back, you know, and just uh, enjoy what I created here. I'm, I'm just, you know, no. What I think what God is doing there is He is giving us an example, uh, a kind of a rhythm of life. Day seven, and we're going to see that here in just just a, a moment, right? Uh, another verse, uh, another verse that people use that are proponents of this day age view is Second uh, Peter chapter three verse eight, where Peter is writing to the church and he says. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. How many of you guys are familiar with that verse? You've heard that verse quoted a lot of times, right? The problem with that verse is, is, is in the context. It has nothing to do with creation. I always tell people that whenever you study the Bible, context is always king. Context is king. All right, so what Peter, the author, is actually doing in Second Peter is he's writing to a church that is being persecuted, and they're losing they're losing hope. And so he's, he's encouraging him. He's saying, hey, listen, God is not slow in fulfilling his promises, but he is patient. And because he's not bound by time as we are, right, it may seem like it, it takes longer, right? So he says, he says, a day is like. He's using metaphorical language there, right? And so that's Day A's view. And that's kind of where people get that the earth is thousands billions whatever years old another view is called the gap theory now i gotta be honest with you man this view here is very intriguing um and i would like to certainly believe this but but you'll see why i struggle with it here in just a second people who hold this view uh believe that there is a massive gap go go back to the genesis uh one one gary uh, so, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, a lot of people believe that that's when creation happened. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything was done. And then there's this massive gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. And what people say is this: during that, that gap period that Satan fell from heaven. And you see Isaiah 14, he talks about the angel of light falling from heaven, right? And I'll be honest with you, I like that view simply because it helps me, like, like, give a reason like this. Okay, this makes sense. This is where Satan fell. I like that, uh, right? And so, so what they say is, is this kind of when when, when, Satan, when Satan fell. And they say the earth was inhabited by a pre-Adam race. And this is where it kind of gets a little out there for me, okay? Uh, and so whenever Satan fell, sin entered the world, uh, God's judgment came in the form of the first great flood that we don't see here in Scripture. That's what they say. And then, when light and heat from the sun ended, you had this global ice age, right? And then, from verse three on, you have recreation. But see, I struggle with that. I mean, as cool as that sounds, right? I mean, that sounds pretty cool, right? And I would love to be like, yeah, that that, that sounds good because that that gives me a good idea of like when Satan fell. I can answer people. But the problem with that is there's certainly there, there's there's I think you can read way too much into the text if that's what you believe. You know, what I'm saying? Like, like I don't really get all that from that. Uh, and then I think certainly there's nothing outside of Genesis in the rest of the Bible that would like support that view, right? So, so out of out of all the views that I'm giving you, the gap theory, as much as I would like to believe it's true, I just I don't think it is. Okay, I think it's kind of far fetched. Okay, you guys agree with me? You guys are like I don't even care, dude. Just keep going. All right, so. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm obligated to give you this stuff, okay? Personally, this is what I hold to, okay? I hold to a literal six-day creation account with a young earth, okay? Here's what I believe. Uh, The reason I believe that is because I think that God, when he created things, uh, didn't necessarily create baby trees, right? Could Could God not have created a tree that appeared to be hundreds of years old with rings on it, right? I mean, could he not have done that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so I think, you know, but there's other, there's other evidence for the reason why I believe that. Uh, honestly, I don't even think God needed six days. <laughs> uh, I think about, think about four the day four, right? Day four, he created the, the sun, the moon, and then it says, and the stars. I love how the text reads it. It's almost like the stars were kind of like a side note, like a side dish, you know? Created the sun, the moon, oh, oh yeah, and the stars. Think about how many billions and billions of stars are just in our Milky Way galaxy, right? And, and I think it's in Isaiah 40 somewhere that it says that he names the stars, <laughs> right? So, so I don't even think that, that God needed a full six days. Also, I think when you read this text, you have to kind of think, okay, the original audience. So I think oftentimes what we do is we like to take Um, a text, and we like to read modern science back into it. Does that make sense? Um, I don't think when Moses wrote this uh, to the people of Israel, um, you kind of like, okay, how would they have read this? I think they would have read it as a literal six days, and the reason why I believe that is because in Exodus, which is the very next book, Genesis, Exodus, Moses also writes that book. And a very familiar passage, the Ten Commandment passage, Exodus chapter 20, commandment 4, So chapter 20, verse 8, Moses says this, he says, remember the Sabbath. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. That's why I I said earlier that that God was creating this rhythm for us to follow, right? But here you go, verse 11, look at verse 11, it says, for in six days... The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. When Moses writes that, doesn't it sound like he's talking about a literal seven days? Like, I don't think the Israelites would have read that and be like, oh, he's probably talking about a, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, right? I, I don't think that's what the Israelites would have done. I, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. And, uh, here's another, another reason, and I, I, I was listening to uh, a John Piper uh, video on this, and, and I, liked, I, I liked what he said here. Uh, he said, another reason why I believe in a young earth is because of genealogy. If you just follow the genealogy, if you followed a tight genealogy from Genesis all the way down, you would get an earth that is about 6,000 years old. Even if you followed a genealogy and made it kind of loose, like if you, even if you had some gaps here and there and you kind of figured in some of that, at best, you're getting 10,000 years old earth. I think another evidence for a young earth is Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 4, he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? I I think, you know, and again, here's the thing. I wasn't there at creation. And it's obvious that Moses did not have in mind a scientific explanation of everything that went down when he wrote Genesis. Like, I don't think Moses was thinking, "Okay, now in you know how many every years from now scientists are going to be like uh, raking this against the coals, trying to figure out every." I don't I, that, Moses didn't have that 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 kind of intent when he wrote this. And I don't necessarily think that the point is for us to debate the age of the Earth. I said this the other night, we were out with some friends, and, and, and I think sometimes what happens is, is people discuss secondary issues, and they get wrapped up in all these things, and then we miss Jesus, right? And I, I, think, I think the point is not for us to debate the age of the earth or how it all happened, but rather the point is the who of creation. In the beginning, God, right? The point is God. And so I, I believe, man, that, that science and the Bible uh, don't have to be at odds against each other. And I don't think oftentimes they're not. Unfortunately, there are some who uh, believe that the Bible is against science and the science is against the Bible. And you have these atheists and people who teach evolution. And I mean, evolutionists believe that that life in the universe results from blind random forces. Right? That in other words, uh, uh, that they believe in eternal matter rather than an eternal being or an eternal God. Right? They believe that this eternal matter just kind of spontaneously generated and began to evolve, and so they're, they're putting their faith in that. Personally, it would be more difficult for me to put my faith in the belief that life just spontaneously generated out of nothing. And I'll tell you why, simply because of the complexity of creation, I don't know if you guys are, are aware of just how complex creation is. I mean, there are statistics out there. Right? I mean, it's like if, if, we were, if we were just a few inches closer to the sun, we would all burn up. If we were a few inches further, we would all freeze to death. Right? Th- things like that, the intricacies, the complexities. Um, I, I was looking this past week, and it says the, um, the living cell, which is one of the most sophisticated structures on earth, it has within it more information than the encyclopedia britannica and that's crazy? crazy isn't it to think that's mind blowing let me ask you this have you ever held a human baby in your hands i mean just just the the intricacies and the complexities of the human body i'll never forget man when jude our our oldest was first uh, when when we were pregnant with when Robin was pregnant with Jude, uh, and we would go to the doctor, and um, they have these charts on the wall, and, and they're in color and everything, and, and it's the first time I'd ever seen, you know, they have the woman's body, and they have how it all happens, and they have it like broken down into months, and and I mean, I, you guys ever seen those charts? Like, into, I, I can remember like every time going to the, I would just sit there and I'd be studying like, this is insane, like God is awesome. Like how can this even happen in the complexities and intricacies of that? Like it's just, it's just mind-blowing. To think about the fact that there are over 9,000 species of birds. It's not one, there's over 9,000 species of birds. And then my wife's favorite, right, there's these, these birds called the birds of paradise. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them, ever heard of them. But, but get this you right they're the most beautiful bird in the world and humans don't even they're very rarely even seen. Why were they created they were created for God's glory they were created for God to enjoy they were cre- our, our world is created so that when we look at uh, the sunset or the sunrise or the, or the moon in the sky, the, whatever it is that, that we are in awe and that we are just like our God is an awesome God. He is a powerful God, right? I mean, Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech and night after night they display knowledge. Like the, the creation is absolutely speaking to you. Creation is crying out. Even if your life is a mess, Right? Even if you don't believe in a creator God, God's creation is speaking to you. It is revealing. God is revealing himself to you through creation. That's what his word says. It's general revelation. As you look at this world, the complexities of it, and you know that there is a a being behind all that. So God is His creation is speaking to us. And and what is it saying? I'll tell you what it's saying. It's saying that we are not here by accident. It's saying that that you have a purpose. We're not here by some random chance. But rather we have a God who is there, who created us for a purpose and a reason. Amen? Amen. If you want more detailed information on what I just covered, um, I'll give you my commentaries that are like this thick. And you can spend time reading through it, or you can just, you know, whatever, and uh, feel free to have at it. But Now, I know sometimes, man, life is difficult. I know that that we go through experiences and wonder if God is there. Uh, We wonder if God really cares about our situation or our circumstances. Sometimes God feels distant, doesn't he? But I want to encourage you, and I want to show you from this creation story, the single storyline of the Bible and I just want you to just to marvel and be at all of, of our God. And we, we, we talked about the, the government and we prayed for our government. We talked about the, how God is sovereign. Like God is in control. Like God has got this, you know. And so do we believe that? And I just want you to see that, that from the very beginning, God, God knew what he was doing. God had a plan. There were no plan B's in God's economy. And I want you to see this. That no matter what you're going through, He is the God who is there. So I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. Now what's interesting about this verse is God seems to intentionally first create a dark, formless, void universe. And then what, what happens is 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 the, never, the never next phrase you have the spirit of god that is hovering over this dark formless void universe. So you're you the reader is already kind of drawn in with anticipation that something something big is about to happen and then and then it does. In verse 3 it says the word god spoke the word goes to work god spoke god said let there be light. Notice it's not until verse 3 that God speaks. And the very first thing He speaks is light. He speaks light into this formless, void, empty universe. Now hang with me for a second, okay? You don't have to turn there. It's going to be on the screen for you. But go to John, Gospel of John, New Testament, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, that's creation language, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 3, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The Word there is Jesus. So right here in Genesis, we see the Trinity, right? We see in the very first couple verses, see God the Father, see God the Holy Spirit, and you see the Word, you see Jesus, God the Son. God in three persons. One God, three persons. Through the Word, Jesus, God brings light to darkness. Through a Word, Jesus brings something that is formless, and He gives form to it. Through a Word, Jesus fills that which is empty. You see, this is such a beautiful thing here because our lives are formless and void and empty until God's word comes in to bring life and peace and beauty and order. Jesus, the true word of God, is the only force in the universe that keeps creation from unraveling, so to speak. The writer of Colossians chapter 1, I think it's verse 15, 16, and 17, talks about how Jesus is preeminent in creation. In other words, he's, he, is, he was there the whole time with God. He is the image of the invisible God. Uh, everything was created by him, through him, for him. And then there's this, this great verse there in Colossians chapter 1 where Paul says that he is the glue that holds everything together. And then you see this unraveling. You see this, this unraveling happening in, uh, in, in, in Exodus Exodus chapters five and five through ten with the ten plagues in Egypt. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the ten plagues. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand. I just raised my hand because I'm familiar with them. Uh, but but I'm not asking you to raise your hand, okay? Uh, but but the ten plagues in Egypt. Um, Israel is in slavery, and God is using Moses to rescue His people. And 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 Moses. God gave Moses a word to give to Pharaoh directly, right? He says, let my people go. This is what God says. But Pharaoh rejected the word, and then the ten plagues began. Now, at first glance, when you look at these plagues, it may seem like random cosmic punishments. God's just kind of raining down His wrath and judgment on uh, the people. But in reality, they actually follow the pattern of creation in reversal. See, what's happening there is you have sin that is unraveling the creation. I and mean, you see that in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to see it in a few weeks, that when sin enters the world, it wrecks everything. It wrecks everything. It wrecks the creation. I mean, you see passages in, in like Romans chapter 8 where it says creation groans waiting for redemption, right? You see you see sin uh, just unraveling creation. So you see this right here, you see this pattern in, in the ten plagues, right? So the very first thing God does is He, he turns the Nile River into blood, which destroys the, the ecosystem. And so out of the Nile River comes frogs, and from dead frogs comes gnats, and from gnats you come disease where the livestock and cattle and everything dies. And eventually you get to the last two plagues. And the second to last plague is darkness. Darkness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was void. It was formless. And it was darkness. Darkness sometimes represents judgment. So you have darkness and death. This is what sin does. You see it in Genesis 3. And the Bible is very clear that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all seen in our lives how sin is destructive. We've seen how sin brings destruction. But the good news of the gospel right, is that the word, Jesus, is going to re-enter. He he re-enters a dark, sin-filled, broken world. He left heaven. He came to earth. Jesus comes to essentially reverse the curse, right? So hang with me here. Matthew chapter 27. Do we have that verse on the screen, Gary? We don't, okay. Uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. This is what it says. This is at the crucifixion of Jesus. It says, now from the sixth hour, this is why he's on the cross, sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness. There's that word darkness again over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So what's happening there is that Jesus is on the cross and he is being judged by God for our sin. So you go back to the ten plagues, you've got darkness. That's God's judgment on Pharaoh in Egypt. And then the tenth plague is the death of the firstborn. Jesus is on the cross. Darkness comes over. Jesus is being judged for our sin. God's wrath is being poured out on Jesus because of our sin, because God is a holy and righteous God, and so Jesus had to come and die, right? Jesus is being rejected. Jesus is being put into darkness in our place so that through Jesus, through the Word, right, we could be restored back to God. See, Jesus brings life and light and new creation to us again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. The, the, The old is dead, right? Because Jesus brings new life, new creation. Um... Ephesians 2, we've already talked about it, right? It says, We were dead in our sin, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive together with Christ. We were dead. That's what sin does. Sin is destructive. We were dead. We were separated from God. And yet, in Christ, we have been made alive. We have been made new, new creation. Right? So, so where our lives have been destroyed by sin, Jesus, the Word, makes all things new. See, He is the God who is there. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you. He's there when your life is upside down, when your life is a mess, when you're discouraged, when you're hurting, when you need peace. He is the God who is there. And I want you to think about this for a second, right? Sometimes we, we and it's so easy because we, we are in the flesh and we, we struggle with this. But you think about this, right? If, if our God can speak creation into existence, if he can create everything that we see around us, the beauty of everything, the complexity of everything, don't you think he can take your life that is a mess, that is broken, and make it new? Can he not do that? Absolutely, he can do that. Do you believe that? So, just two quick things, man. As we wrap up today, do, do you know Jesus? Do you know the Word Jesus? Have you surrendered to Him? Have you made Him Lord of your life? And I don't. I don't mean just. I don't, I don't mean cultural Christianity. I don't mean yeah, I follow Jesus. And, and the, I mean, have, have you surrendered your life to Him? Is He Lord? If he's not, then I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to, to come and, and talk to me, and, and I'd be more than happy to sit down and, and share what that means and what that looks like. And He, he wants to, to make you new. He wants to give you a new heart. And we can make that happen. So I'd love to talk with you about that. Secondly, just as Jesus came into our dark world to bring light as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are to be a light in our community. Just as Jesus entered into our brokenness, right, we are to enter into the brokenness of those around us, our society. we We speak of the gospel of uh, we speak the gospel of peace and light into people's life into broken places, right? We go to um, the margins of society. We go to, to 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 the down and out. We go to those who have been forgotten, and we engage it means we it means we seek racial reconciliation right it, it means that we we simply just walk alongside with people through whatever it is they're going through because that's what that's what he does for us that's what he did for us he he entered in he engaged right just as god is the god who is there we should be a people who is there to your neighbor to your coworker friends, whatever. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for uh, your your grace and mercy. We thank you for uh, just the fact that, uh, that you spoke everything into existence, God, that you created all of this for your glory. God, that so we would be in awe of who you are. God, we thank you that you are the God who is there even when we don't always feel it, even when we um, are struggling, that you are there, that you have not abandoned us, that you have not left us. God, may we take comfort and peace in that today. Whatever it is that we're struggling with, whatever it is that we're going through, Father, we just pray that you will encourage us. Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Help us to be encouraged by that. And again, we just give you all the praise and glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.